Welcome to the Reorg Primary Review, where we cover the latest developments in high-yield distressed debt and bankruptcy and feature discussions on issues affecting distressed debt, leveraged finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds, high-yield municipals, covenants, private credit, and middle market companies. I'm David Zupkis. This week, Senior Primary Market Reporter Michael Haley spoke to PIMCO Managing Director David Forgash, who leads the firm's leveraged finance business, about his outlook on the market looking ahead into 2024. The episode includes David's thoughts on what the future looks like for the leveraged finance market, as well as what market participants can expect in the high-yield primary amidst higher interest rates. And as always, we bring you our weekly summary of interesting developments in the restructuring world, as well as a preview of what's on tap for next week. We'd like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. It's Monday, October 23rd. Welcome back to another episode of the Reorg Primary View podcast, where we bring you informed insights on critical issues in the leveraged finance and distressed markets. My name is Michael Haley, Senior Primary Market Reporter at Reorg, and I'm pleased to have David Forgash of PIMCO with me today to discuss the future of the leveraged finance market. David leads PIMCO's leveraged finance business, overseeing all high-yield bond, CLO, and loan portfolios. Welcome, David. Thanks very much for having me, Michael. So, David, as we're in October and approaching the next Federal Reserve meeting at the end of the month with possible rate hike, it's expected, and 10-year Treasury yields at their highest since 2007, how are you thinking about these factors impacting the leveraged finance market as we soon head into 2024? Yeah, well, I mean, that is the question, obviously, for a lot of people are asking investors as well. And the thing to keep in mind, Michael, there's a lot has changed over you know the past few years, um, but there's no really such thing as high yield anymore. It's all credit, really. It's just composed of leveraged loans and private credit. And, and yeah, high yield does make up a significant part of it, but it's a really it's a five trillion market that um, each replaces each other, you know, at different times of stress in the market. So there are opportunities in, in, in all of it. Um, you're asking how we how we're viewing as we headed to the end of the year. Well, we're at some pretty attractive levels. I mean, when we look at high yield itself, we're at we're nine percent and uh, or just above nine percent. And when I think about investing, uh, just a short time as 2021, I think it was middle of 2021, we were we were trying to get at yields of 3.8 percent. I mean, that was about the average of the high yield index at that time. And if you, if you wanted to really stretch it out, you would have, you would have bought some triple C's um, and with, with certainly more risk involved at six, six and a half percent. Well, you know, that still had a chance of defaults, but now we're in a period where those defaults are potentially higher, still pretty low, but you're getting those same yields. You're getting double B's at 8%. Um, so the market right now is pretty, is priced pretty attractively. And as we head to the end of the year, you know, I see a lot of opportunities to take advantage of that. Great, great. That's great to know, David. Next, I'd like to get your perspective on what the future looks like in terms of new issuance in the high-yield bond market uh, for the rest of the year and into next year. I guess, what changes can the market expect from bond issuers and new deals that differ from this year's deals? Yeah, well, so... This this pat what you had in 2021 was a, a big series of uh, deals coming out that were at 
unattractive levels. Um, and that's always happens when there's um, a flooding of money that comes into the market. So you get some poorly priced deals with some very weak covenants. So as we look into next year, I think one of the things you'll, you'll see change a lot, and we've already seen this so far, is a much better covenant package. Not perfect, um, but much better than we've seen in the past. So less um, concerns about uh, money or assets escaping from the business. Uh, so that's a positive for our investors, a positive for ourselves. We always tend to, to fight for the tightest covenant package possible. Um, but when there's a high level of demand, um, sometimes those, those packages uh, still arise. So now we're in a period where rates are higher and borrowing needs are still there. They're not as great as they were, but they're still there. So what I think you'll see going into next year is you'll still see some volumes of new issuance. Um, they'll likely be lower than this year. Uh, and they'll likely be mostly for refinancing. There's some M&A that's coming down that we know about, um, and there's some that's been announced. But generally speaking, this year, um, we've seen mostly refinancing uh, activity. And next year, we, we think you'll see the same. Uh, the difference is, is, you'll, is you'll, aside from those packages, is you'll see um, when there's a high-yield deal come, there'll be a competing interest from either the leveraged loan market or uh, what we've seen uh, this year is greater interest from private credit. So that private direct lending mechanism has really stood in uh, at times of either stress in the market or even times like now when there's just the same uh, different piles of money competing for the same assets. That's a great point you you bring in on um, you know competing with syndicated leveraged loans and and private credit. I guess then what what does that mean for high yield bonds then when there's these other competing forces um, competing with the market? Well, so in some cases, it's, it's quite positive for high yield. So if you think about it this way, it, it, yes, it does make competition for the same uh, uh, lending, but um, there are a lot of deals that um, would have trouble being refinanced that now with private credit so uh, available, this is the last numbers we, we were able to estimate was about 450 million of uh, uh, billion, I'm sorry, 450 billion of private credit sitting on the sidelines, uh, cash available to invest. So if you have a high yield deal that's having trouble refinancing, that can be taken out now uh, by private credit, and 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 we've seen we're seeing that happen as it is. Um, and some of it is not just being taken out; some of it is even being used for general corporate purposes. So that I think is where you'll see uh, it helpful for high yield. So in other words, if a company was potentially facing default. Now, instead of default there, and the high yield market doesn't want to refinance it, there are other ways for them to get refinanced. So that should help uh, bring down what we would worry about would be uh, a higher default rate with a slowing economy. Right, right. Oh, that's, that's good enough. Then I guess, what can you expect for high yield bond volumes in 2024? And how are issuers looking to address looming, um, the looming 2025 maturity wall um, issuers that once borrowed at 4 to 5%? They're not looking at higher yields. Um, how are they going to address these? Yeah, so for some of them, it'll be quite tough. Um, the, we, we see issuance. So issuance um, this year was down about 25% from the previous year, and we see it falling still in 2024. So the market is shrinking in high yield. Um, which is giving it a very uh, strong technical backdrop. You're also seeing a lot of uh, rising stars. In other words, companies that were uh, in high yield previously, so call it double B, moving into investment grade. There's been about 70 billion 
um, that's fallen out of that market. So um, in that, in that, in cases like that, uh, you know, the 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 supply that you'll see um, will be uh, taken well by the market. I guess you know, as an investor, and and when you're looking at your your firm's exposure to new primary bond deals, um, are there has there been an increase in pushback on more investor friendly terms when you're working with um, syndicate bankers on 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 marketing deals? So there's there's always this push and push and pull. Um, thankfully, you know, at a place like Pimco, where we have a, a lot of size and involvement in the market, we get to push. A little bit more than we have to pull. Um, so in other words, we get a stronger hand in being able to negotiate some of these terms, as 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 do other uh, investors. Um, and uh, so the primary deals that are that are coming out, there's always will be uh, loose terms that want to be put in. We fight against that, uh, and uh, we'll walk away, uh, and we often do. Um, so it's, it's if there's a hundred deals that come out, we might just invest in call it twenty of them. Uh, and in the other 80, we won't if they don't have the proper terms. So it could it, it couldn't just be uh, uh, the 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 docs. It could also just be that there was bad business model or bad pricing. But it all comes into the evaluation we make when we decide whether or not we're going to invest in any specific deal. So generally speaking, we uh, we're we're pretty conservative uh, with our with our investors' money. So it doesn't mean we won't move out into very attractive opportunities in Triple C, but Mostly when you're in an environment now where you have nice high yields, so like I said, above nine percent for the for the average high yield, you could get double Bs for eight percent, um, and you could pepper those with some really strong single Bs and bring your full yield up to eight and a half percent. So you can stay in some very resilient credit, some resilient sectors, um, and avoid, uh, if not all, but at least most defaults. Uh, and, and therefore really capture that the entirety of that uh, of that yield. As we're wrapping up the year soon, how would you categorize this year so far in the high yield primary market? Is it safe to say this year saw tighter spreads with higher yields? Yeah, so uh, we have seen tighter spreads. Um, and yes, we've, we've also seen higher yields. We ended last year uh, around uh, just under 9% in yield, uh, but spreads were a good 50 basis points wider. So what you've seen is you've seen uh, the base rate of yields moving up, so the underlying government or the SOFR spread moving higher. Um, and and but while that was uh, happening, you also saw spreads compress. And why would that happen? Well, <laughs> you're getting to more attractive levels uh, where investors come in. So once you get to yields that are approaching 9%, you're really starting to get, those are like equity-like returns. Those are long-term equity-like returns with really historically less vol- volatility than the equity market. So that brings in additional capital. Um, so it p- kind of puts a top on those yields. So now as we're you know, entering the end of the year and looking to you know, the Fed, uh, whether or not they'll have additional raises, um, you start to focus on the idea of what's your total yield you're getting and what part of that is spreads. And although spreads might be attractive historically, yields themselves are very attractive. I mean, we're getting yields here that we haven't seen um, you know, except for briefly during the GFC, um, you haven't seen in, in, in 15, 20 years. Great. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on Reorg's Primary View podcast. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having me, Michael. For your court coverage this week, we take a look at the recent turmoil in the Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court, Yellow Core, Legato Networks, and Hawaiian Electric Industries. 
Judge David Jones of the Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court announced that he's leaving the bench effective November 15th. The judge tendered his resignation after Chief Judge Priscilla Richmond of the Court of Appeals to the Fifth Circuit entered an order noting probable cause to believe that misconduct by Judge Jones has occurred. The Fifth Circuit made its finding in the wake of a lawsuit filed against Judge Jones alleging conflicts of interest due to his personal relationship with a Houston bankruptcy lawyer. On Monday, October 16th, the Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court issued a work order detailing the assignment of new cases after Judge Jones' resignation. The order makes clear that complex cases will still be assigned to the complex panel, now composed of Judge Christopher Lopez and Judge Marvin Isker. The Yellow Core debtors canceled the bid deadline and auction under the bidding procedures for the sale of the rolling stock, pivoting to an agency agreement for auctioneers to sell the stock in one or more auction sales. Under the contract, Nations Capital, Ritchie Brothers, Auctioneers, and Iron Planet would be appointed as agents to dispose of the rolling stock assets through private treaty, online webcasts, or unreserved public auctions within six months. In a complaint filed in the U.S. Court of Federal Claims, Legato Networks accuses the U.S. Department of Defense and Department of Commerce of making false claims to Congress, other agencies, and the public about the effects of Legato's proposed 5G terrestrial service on GPS systems. According to Legato, independent valuations have determined that the terrestrial authority Legato was granted by the Federal Communications Commission is worth as much as $39 billion. The complaint asserts the defendants took remarkable steps to destroy an American company so the Department of Defense could continue to use Legato's spectrum for its own purposes without paying. Plaintiffs continue to suggest that Hawaiian Electric Industries is contemplating bankruptcy and may be insolvent due to damages claims from the Lahaina fires that killed almost 100 in Maui. In a Second Amendment class action complaint, plaintiffs proposed a limited fund class action proceeding as a more equitable and efficient means of distributing available assets than the likely alternative of bankruptcy. The complaint also adds claims against Hawaiian Electric for inverse condemnation and adds Maui County as a defendant. Right Aid OSG Group Holdings and MVK Farm Co. round out this week's batch of Chapter 11 filings. Right Aid filed Chapter 11 in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of New Jersey after negotiating an RSA with an ad hoc group of secured second lien note holders. At a first day hearing last week, Judge Michael Kaplan granted interim approval of dip financing, unlocking full access to a $200 million new money term loan facility from prepetition ABL lenders and $400 million first in, last out, or philo facility from the first lien dip ABL lenders. A $2.85 billion dip ABL revolver will be used to refinance the company's outstanding prepetition revolver on a creeping incremental dollar for dollar basis with the debtor's dip ABL borrowings. Broadly, the RSA plan contemplated a reorganization under which the second lien notes claims to be equitized into 100% of Rite Aid's new common stock subject to dilution by fully diluted management incentive plan shares and an equity issued to holders of allowed general unsecured claims plus take-back debt. In parallel with the plan process, the debtors will market their retail assets in order to assess whether there are superior alternatives to the equitization restructuring. OSG Holdings, a provider of integrated customer communications, billing, and payment services, filed for bankruptcy in the Southern District of Texas with an RSA for a prepackaged plan. The debtors target emergence by the end of November, noting the plan is supported by over 89% of first lien claims. The plan would equitize $535 million of the $670 million prepetition of first lien debt, with first lien holders also receiving $135 million of take-back debt. The plan contemplates a new $50 million first lien facility raised via rights offering upon emergence, which would be used to repay the $50 million dip from the RSA parties. MVK Farmco, a Fresno, California-based stone fruit producer operating as Prima, sought Chapter 11 protection in the District of Delaware. 
The debtors aim to file a toggle sale or equitization plan in the coming weeks and will pursue an expedited Chapter 11 process. MVK Farmco also says it has the support of a substantial majority of pre-petition lenders and that certain supporting lenders have entered into a lender support agreement under which they agreed to bid procedures terms, including a bidding floor of $235 million. Judge Lori Selber Silverstein greenlighted the debtors' consensual cash collateral use on an interim basis at their first day hearing last week. Top bird stories this week included court opinion review, you know who steps down, Delaware's race from the bottom continues, DSG adrift, yellow suit stays in Kansas, UST objects to Tehemcare two-step settlement DS plan, suggests relationship between Judge Jones and YesCare counsel taints mediation outcome, conflict in Middle East rattles markets, shutters European primary, decline in treasury yields lures borrowers back to primary markets, China developers return from Gold Week holiday to broken homes. And now here's Kate Thomas from New York bringing you the week ahead. Welcome to the week ahead. My name is Kate Thomas. A longer schedule of this week's events, including earnings releases, can be found on the Reorg website under America's Week Ahead. Here are a few highlights. On Monday, the Lucky Bucks Holdings debtor faces its pick note holders' attempt to convert the case to Chapter 7. The pick note holders claim that the case should be converted so that an independent Chapter 7 trustee can investigate claims against former owners and managers related to a $250 million dividend they received. The holdings debtor says that the court should order mediation and avoid the costs of conversion. The pick note holders, however, say that the case should be converted because mediation without the benefit of a transparent investigation by the Chapter 7 trustee would be premature. Jumping to Wednesday, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit will hear oral argument in the Hertz Bankruptcy Appeal. The trustee for certain Hertz note holders is appealing Judge Mary Walrath's decisions, disallowing the quote-unquote unimpaired note holders' claims for make-whole premiums and post-petition interest. The Fifth and Ninth Circuit appellate courts have required solvent debtors like Hertz to pay post-petition interest and make-whole premiums to render their creditors unimpaired, as in the ultra-petroleum and PG&E bankruptcies. However, the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit concurred with Judge Walrath's post-petition interest decision when it affirmed the LATAM Ireland's Chapter 11 confirmation order. So far, the U.S. Supreme Court has declined to consider those decisions. On Thursday, Rite Aid will be in court with its generic supplier, McKesson, regarding the party's ongoing dispute under their multi-billion dollar supply agreement. Rite Aid filed an adversary proceeding against McKesson to prevent it from terminating the agreement, which is critical to Rite Aid's business. At a hearing last week, Rite Aid announced that it had reached a tentative settlement with McKesson. According to that announcement, McKesson would continue to provide Rite Aid with pharmaceutical products, but would get an allowed super-priority administrative claim and shortened payment terms during the bankruptcy cases. That's it for now. For more on the week ahead, including a packed schedule of earnings releases, check out America's Week Ahead on the Rear website, and have a great week. Thank you again for tuning in to the REARG Prime Review and our weekly review. Find all our podcasts on the REARG.com webinars and podcast page as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great week and see you.